This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Nation. This is Power Athlete Radio, episode 18. I'm here with Playtech, Luke, and the man John Wellborn. Gentlemen, how you doing? I'm well, thanks. What's happening? What's up? Doing well. John, are you eating a sandwich or something? Nah, just hanging out, <laughs> smacking Denny, my lips. Denny, that's me. You here chewing? Okay. So, first thing I've eaten all day. Nice. But, it, but it's a dead animal that, that used to have a face and a soul. That's good. I was going to say that uh, Playtech can't get on um, the podcast without a nice filet of penis. <laughs> Real That's right. I don't eat it if I don't kill Maybe it. Nice tube steak. Maybe a nice tube steak. Not a tube steak smothered in underwear? <laughs> you guys are assholes. Sounds like you've eaten at that restaurant before, Denny. Oh, <laughs> man, I kind of walked into that one. All right, so let's go to some updates from the Power Athlete headquarters. Late on. What's new? What's new? Got the Jimmy Buffett video out there. Yeah, just trying to get through the rest of our, our warm-up series and see if people find it valuable. If this is a valuable tool for everybody, we'll keep them rolling out. We'll find a way to get, get the information to you. You know, uh, that... The Jimmy Buffett deal is simple, I guess. It, you know, watching somebody do it, it looks like they're just doing some crazy martial arts or sun salutations or something. But uh, it's a great way to start getting those shoulders organized because that's – especially with amateur athletes or people who are desk professionals or salesmen who are sitting in a car or an airplane, they have a hard time even understanding where the hell their shoulders are at. And that's that's crucial because – if your shoulders are out of place when you're pressing or pulling, you can you can jack it up pretty good. And anyone who has shoulder issues knows um, it's hard to come back from. Hard to get to 100%. Steve, you probably got an opinion on that. I mean, <laughs> I when do. I, came- I, I have um, I have shoulder issues that are jacked up from years of ice hockey and probably bad positions and being a desk jockey. Um, and Tex actually came down and hung out with me one weekend at uh, CrossFit Gwinnett, and he showed me the uh jimmy buffett's and just smoked me i mean i was just sweating and my hands were i'm pushing my palms together i was trembling but um i have to say those those warm-ups that you guys are giving um i don't i don't coach a lot of classes at my gym because i have a day job and but when i do i incorporate those warm-ups in there and everybody is getting just they're just getting crushed they're obviously in bad positions and they're loving it so uh, my partner actually called me up the other day and was like they want you to coach more because of this goofy stuff that you're doing with them and i was like well it's it's not goofy it actually helps them so it's been pretty awesome i appreciate you guys doing that where did the name jimmy buffett come from the uh, so left into the right uh the name comes from uh rafael ruiz uh rafael was um you know all of his warm-ups and a lot of his stuff is pretty intricate i mean i think the original was uh, a two-hand class to drop and retract shoulders to you know uh, elbows kiss i mean there was a pretty long 
deal. So we just started kind of naming things and he picked the Jimmy Buffett's, which was the uh, fins to the left, fins to the right. So those of you guys that are Jimmy Buffett's fans um, would know that song. So trying to add a little pop culture into these things and actually give them a little bit of, you know, people remember them. And uh, for those for those of you guys who've been to the seminar, uh, Steve, you know, that that's where I would insert my jab typically. But uh, it, some of our names are a little too literal and just a mouthful. And, you know, it's like it's a shame we can't come up with something a little more creative like, uh, you know, IT band slow twisting kick uh, with a hip drop and toe touch. Like the, what the hell is that? You know, right. Jimmy Buffett's cool. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> some at some point you have to have a vernacular that your members can actually understand. Right. Yeah, dude. Well, I mean, uh, the the problem is, is how many people under the age of thirty actually know who Jimmy Buffett is? Mm, good point. Yeah. Have you ever seen Horatio Sands do his Jimmy Buffett imitation on uh, the Saturday Night Lives from probably the early two thousands? No, dude, I don't remember that. No, me neither. Oh, maybe it's on YouTube somewhere. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. When you guys posted that video, um, Luke, you added a, a little comments, uh, need motivation. You once saw John mash a dollar bill so hard between his palms it became a $50 bill. True story. <laughs> D- Denny, it's on the internet, so it's true. And uh, the motivation is people get lax with with how hard they push those hands together. So just, just give a little motivation to add stress to the whole scenario and be able to still keep your shoulders in uh, in that correct tracking or in that mo- movement pattern while adding stress to it. And there's just like a lot of the stuff we're putting up there, there's three, four, five, six other progressions or variations of these that an athlete would move through as they build competency with that first one. You know, so it's just uh, just a little bit of incentive. Usually John John just mashes all of his dollar bills into one big crumple and then jams it in his pocket and it could be anywhere between literally three dollars or like a hundred thousand dollars of just singles <laughs> in his pocket. That's a true story. <laughs> so we got the CrossFit games coming up next week, you guys. I'm assuming we're gonna be out there. Are you gonna have a booth? Or are you just gonna go out there as spectator? No, we, we're out there at full effect. There's a um, SME experience that we'll be a part of. I know we're going to teach two days. We're going to go out and uh, do a recap we did last year where we teach the squat, and then also we're going to teach some movement prep and uh, change of direction. So um, CrossFit does a pretty good job uh, right up at the top in the main stage. There's a, a big area that they call the SME experience where all of our booths are. So we usually hang out there and try to meet as many people as we can and spread the gospel or like we call it the truth <laughs> the truth by john wellborn the truth so Whoa, that's how we we're, sounding, we're sounding more and more like a cult every episode if that's what it takes you know, dude that's what we'll do all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm in i'm all in but it's good cult. cults are only bad things or, or only a bad thing if they make you like shave your head give all your money away and then you got to go drink some kool-aid in the middle of the of the jungle uh you know a website where you check in and lift some weights and try to prevent people from basically fucking wasting their time and doing bullshit is uh, I think that's a, a cult that saves people. Yeah, you know, I want to be a cult. Speaking yeah. of wanna- speaking of cults in Colorado, we went and trained at a gym down there, Callie and I, for a cert last weekend, and uh, and the, the gym was across the street from the Church of Scientology. Oh, Luke, did you just know you just double verbed right there? You went and trained. Yeah, I double verb all the time. More the merrier. 
I'm just letting you know because I've been editing your book. You um, <laughs> put together a starter's manual for CrossFit football, and I've had to edit the 63 pages of Luke doesn't believe in commas. Somebody told him in grade school you was using commas too much, so now he doesn't write with with uh, punctuation. So it's like one big uh, information dump, and I've been working through it for the last couple of days. So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm going to slip that jab while while it's present. Uh, yeah, went and trained. Why does that word train? Why is that ringing a bell? Is that like a locomotive? Would that be a verb or a noun? Depends upon how you use it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it could be either. You know, so, we, I, so anyway, so tell us about this locomotive in Arizona. Which, which was in Colorado. Or oh, Colorado. No, it was just all, all it was was we were across the street from Church of Scientology and there were some sketchy figures out there in, in robes just trying to lure Callie in. But uh, they could sense that I was a strong I you know, I had a strong soul, so they didn't even try with me. <laughs> nice. How was the uh, so you and Callie were in Colorado, John Ben and Tex were in Texas. Yeah. Um, how was that seminar down in Texas, John? It was good. Uh, we had, I think we were about 24, 25, 26 strong. Um, we did it down at GSX, which is uh, Jeff Tucker, who does the SME uh, gymnastics course for CrossFit. Um, he's got a pretty big gym. It's probably about easily, I don't know, maybe 15, 20,000 square feet. It's a huge warehouse. Um, oddly enough, they only have like two racks and like one bar. So it kind of took us a little bit to work through. It's kind of interesting. But uh, it was nice. It was about 110 degrees on day one. Day two, it was raining at about 70 degrees. It always amazes me in Texas that like the minute that some sun, some clouds go up, all of a sudden the, tre- uh, the temperature drops 40 degrees. So that was pretty interesting. But um, we had some great guys. We had... Uh, uh, Seth McKinney, uh, who those of you guys that uh, are football fans, he played for the Miami Dolphins, also Cleveland Browns. He was a center, uh, played eight years and ended up getting his knee tore up in his last year and retiring. And he's uh, been following the CrossFit stuff and the CrossFit football and looks great. He's probably, I think it, when he started, he was about 320 and was feeling pretty beat up. And now he's probably about 250, 255 and looks pretty good. I was joking with him that he's looking like an underwear model. So He's doing a lot better and he's feeling better. And he's like, man, I, I didn't know I could feel this good. So that was pretty exciting to run into him, you know, contemporary of mine and a really nice guy who, you know, played down at Texas A&M and has been working training athletes and just training himself. So that was pretty exciting. And we had some, uh, I think we had a really great group. Jeff Gonzalez from Triton Concepts was there and he got up and spoke a little bit. Uh, Jeff's a former Navy SEAL and um, has a... Uh, shooting school called Triton Concepts, where he travels around and works with military law enforcement and even civilians uh, teaching, um, you know, pistol and rifle. He got up and talked about margin of error and attention to detail, and you know, in especially in you know, kind of a warfighter situation, how important margin of error really becomes. I mean, we talk about it all the time in terms of CrossFit football, reducing the margin of error, uh, you know, attention to detail. I mean, everything that we talk about was exactly the same things he was talking about, but using it in a very practical, practical way. So that was solid. Then we also had another guest, uh, Tom Inkledon. So Dr. Inkledon flew over from Arizona to come hang out with us. And he got up and gave a, you know, talk about inflammation and, you know, uh, what you need to do in terms of uh, maximizing performance by 
reducing margin of error in terms of what you're doing with your sleep, with your food, and also with some supplementation. So that was really good. I was glad to be able to have two really, really solid um, guys who are kind of uh, heads of their uh, verticals in their market come and be able to speak to our guys. I mean, that's something we've really always kind of stressed with Power Athlete is if we have people that we're doing work with or we have friends of the program, bringing them in and introducing them to the people that we're working with. And I always think it's great to be able to hear our message or the same message from people that are kind of unrelated. I mean, you take a guy like Jeff and be able to put him in the situation and he's teaching the same things in terms of mechanics and body position and posture and attention to detail that we're teaching, even though it's two unrelated fields. So pretty exciting stuff. It seems to me, yeah, that, that sounds awesome, John. And it seems to me like, uh, you know, posture and body mechanics is going to apply across anything, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know anything where uh, shitty mechanics, bad posture, and um, lack of attention to detail really are things that are prized in anything. In anything. I mean, that's like a motto for life, right? Yeah, I mean, we'd like to believe so. I mean, it's just amazing, though, how how quickly people are to abandon those, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, you know, posture and position. I mean, we stress it. Everything we do is posture and position, every lift, every movement, change of direction, sport, you know, what really makes the good one from the great. And, you know, how come these guys are so gifted and can do it day in and day out? And more importantly, why is it so aesthetically pleasing to see people that are great athletes? And what we really, when we broke it down, especially with film and just watching some of the world's best athletes, what we realized was their ability to maintain proper posture and position through movement was kind of that silver bullet when we we saw some of the world's best i mean from sprinting to uh to olympic weightlifting to you know powerlifting to uh football it doesn't matter what the sport is uh when you really watch it in slow motion and you watch the world's best their attention to detail in terms of posture and position and and mechanics never break down you know, you watch, yeah. uh, you know, whether yeah. it's, uh, you know, some of the world, I mean, I, I, uh, much like everybody, and I know we're going to get in and talk a little bit about some of the cloak op stuff, but you know, I mean, when you get in there and you start watching some of those YouTube videos, uh, of some of the Olympic weightlifters and the guys that have been doing it for so long, their ability to maintain posture and position through, you know, a big vertical pull and then pulling themselves underneath the bar, catching in a good position and then standing up. I mean, the back is completely rigid. The knees are in a good position. Um, you know, everything is almost like perfect angles and you know the difference between missing a lift and not missing a lift comes down to can they maintain that posture and position through those full ranges of motion so i mean same thing with football i mean it it just it's this universal truth this universal blueprint that we've seen is you know really breaks down to you know mechanics posture position being strong and being able to maintain these through full ranges of motion and through movement through space you know not just being able to do it statically but being able to do it dynamically has really become this uh this just amazing thing when you realize it applies to everything yeah you know i know we're going to talk about Klokov later and I, I see we have some on the agenda about talking about toddlers this is something that's really important for me i mean i've started um uh rewarding or preaching the posture and position and mechanics in the gym and and just sort of to myself but what i've noticed and um, I've recently been asked by my daycare provider to outline kind of a little like fun phys ed for toddlers is that kids that I mean, this is where it has to start, right, is kids are born with 
proper mechanics, posture. And I mean, I should say healthy kids. Um, all other things being equal, healthy kids have nearly perfect posture and perfect form. And then we fuck it up by sitting them in chairs all day. And you go out and you look at any 13-year-old or 14-year-old in middle school and ask them to do a squat and it'll make you throw up because you, you'll just be sick by watching what they can't do with their own body. So, I mean, what we're oftentimes working with in the gym is like thick, bringing them back to what's natural. Instead well, of – we're not teaching – you know, the squat is not an unnatural behavior. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I mean look at, look, look at a lot of countries that uh, – Go watch really National Geographic. Yeah. That's how they eat, shit, sit, rest. I mean they just squat. I had a client of mine. They heard her boyfriend went to Vietnam about a week ago and uh, she sent me an email and she said like that that's what they all do. Like when you go into the village, they're all like in this perfect ass to the grass squatting position, just going through their daily rituals. And uh, it were, you know, that when I remember a podcast you did, John, a while ago where you were mentioning how you had a conversation with Dr. Romanoff and he was talking about how they prep athletes. Um, I don't know if prep's the right word, but how they kind of get toddlers going in like uh, an athletic lifestyle from the very beginning. Um, you had mentioned some grip work um, that he had told you stuff like how they would teach the babies to roll forward. If I remember that correctly. No, you've totally fucked no. that up. I fucked that <laughs> up. Yeah. yeah. You completely fucked that one up. I related a story that Dr. Romanoff talked to me about uh, teaching children, especially young toddlers, when they first start walking, getting them to go vertical, actually creating like little corridors, you know, with the couch and then forcing them to fall forward. If, uh, you know, Playtech has the same deal where I watch my little girls, uh, they run everywhere. But a big part is getting their feet straight, getting them to kind of fall forward. Um, and really just getting them to pick their feet up. What I was really talking about was um, some of the Russian literature and some information that was forwarded to me that had to deal with developing grip strength before a certain age, that after a certain age, I think it was probably 18, 19, 20 years old, that you could not develop your grip strength past that point. And so your biggest gains in terms of grip strength came as a young child. So from day one with my girls, I um, got them to hold my fingers. And to the point Luke seen me do it, I can carry them around the house, and they can hold on to my fingers <laughs> – for as long as they want and I got them actually to the point where now they kind of sit in like a little uh, L sit and we kind of walk around the house and then the other big one is uh, now I get them to hold my thumbs and we play uh, kettlebell and I swing them like kettlebells and they just laugh and think it's the most fun thing and they can hold on as long as they want to. So we've really been stressing that from day one. Um, big thing too and this was the what I think you were really thinking about is there's a ton of research about children learning their movement patterns from their parents. Children, as you guys know, are watchers. They learn everything by sitting and watching. And in a way, they're little autistic parrots. Uh, they see what we do. They don't say anything. They just watch and then they mimic that kind of monkey see monkey do mentality. So if the child and children learn their movement patterns from their parents and those they're around. So if they're around a bunch of shitty movers and they're around a bunch of people that are, you know, obviously bad posture, uh, you know, bad gait 
terrible movers, uh, the children are, gonna, are just a product of their environment. So I think what we're really seeing is these children are born with a set of movement patterns that are pretty good. I mean, I watch my little girls sit in a perfect squat and they sit there for hours and they play, they stand up, they run. Everywhere they go, they kind of run, they, they, they climb on everything. We have a little jungle gym that we built in the house. And um, everything they do is some form of active. And then over time, what do we do? They kind of get chained in these situations where they have to sit at a desk. And over time, they just develop really, really crappy movement patterns. I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of shitty uh, unathletic people in the world and, uh, you know, it just doesn't really pay dividends. And, you know, these kids are just products of their environment. So, um, you know, we always joke at the seminar that, you know, your attention to detail, to posture and position, being athletic, uh, is your responsibility because the life you might save might be your child's, the movement you might save might be your own kids, you know, stress those things for the mere fact that your child is watching you and you have a responsibility to help this child get better. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's amazing. I mean, to the point where, uh, you know, you see people that have a unique gait and you watch your children have the exact same gait in the walk and just a lot of their own movement patterns around shoulders is another big one, you know, don't understand that kind of drop and retract a uh, good posture in that upper position. So it's definitely very, very telling. But, um, at the end of the day, you know, as a parent, you have this responsibility to not only keep, you know, make sure your child is fed and clothed and, you know, uh, you know, taken care of. You have a, you know, you have to uh, uh, offer them warmth, but discipline and this kind of interesting balance. A big part of that is giving them an opportunity to go outside, play, don't come back in. I don't need you in the house. That's a big deal for us. Let them go outside. I mean, we're fortunate because we have twins that they get to play with each other all day. But uh, I want them to be outside as much as possible. I want them to be creative. The last thing I want them to do is be sitting there watching. TV or on an iPad or an iPhone like we don't even have the TV on we actually play the radio and uh, I'd rather have them sit and dance and have a good time than sit and watch something and we read a lot That's the one. we have story time multiple times a day can, can, I, can I just drop a little bit of science in there? yeah lay it on us okay so um, I'm going to start with the grip mechanics um, so the, the, the data on the grip mechanics being an age-related issue is an evolutionary biological one, right? So we have something going on in our biology called uh, adaptive phenotypic plasticity. So this is what happens like when a mom is pregnant and she eats lots of sugar, her baby comes out craving sugar because it's a predictor of the environment that the mom is existing in. The infant would be best predisposed to like that food in order to survive in the outcome of that environment. So grip mechanics is the same thing. If your, your body has what's called a phenotypically plastic expression of the genes involved in in strength execution or grip mechanics so that if not needed your body will put energy and express genes elsewhere in the system and they could be they could be shitty genes or they could be good genes but it's it's literally an evolutionarily designed program of use it or lose it um and and so think about primate heritage what do what do young primates do they grab mom's fur and they hang on for their life and if you've ever watched the chimpanzee troop on national geographic or discovery or whatever those moms are not treading lightly they are not i mean they are swinging from trees jumping you know meters and that infant doesn't shake a bit, holding on as tight as possible because survival depended on it. Our primate heritage is the same thing. If we don't teach our kids that, then they lose it because it's not necessary. I do the same thing with my son. I started doing it a lot more after talking with Kelly Starrett about it. Um, what a lot of parents do is they grab their kid by the hand and swing them around. 
And what that doesn't allow to happen is the kid to let go. So you dislocate a shoulder, and once the shoulder is dislocated, then you're setting the kid up for, you know, just a, a lifetime of problems potentially. But if you allow the kid to hold on real tight and let go when they're tired, eventually they build strength, and that phenotypically plastic expression of genes gets expressed. The same thing is true of social or observational learning. Um, our primate heritage, our survival depends upon watching what the others around us are doing. If the others are standing on their hands and they've survived and reproduced, I'd better stand on my fucking hands or I'm going to go extinct. And so that sounds like a drastic example when we're talking about things like good squat mechanics or deadlift mechanics or shoulders back and down. But it's the same neural mechanism that's expressed plastic in our brain. So if you've got a, a dad or a mom who's athletically um, – there's this commercial I think for, for Volkswagen or Volvo or something where the guy's trying to teach his kid how to throw the ball and his you know, elbows forward, hip is back. And it's just absolutely horrible horrible. I'll try and bring up the ad if I can so we can post it. And it's exactly what you're talking about. The kid who he's playing catch with is doing the same goofy throw. And, you know, Volkswagen is making fun of it, but it's really a serious problem. And I, I like the motto that if nothing else, you're going to save your child. Um, so I just wanted to drop a little bit of science in there. Sorry to geek out, but um, phenotypic plasticity and social learning are, are important evolutionary mechanisms that we as parents can use to help our children grow. I mean, they don't have to be super athletes. They don't have to be, you know, uh, NFL veterans or Olympic athletes, but just to be well off and live a long, healthy life, you know, inflammatory free, disease free, backache free, what have you. So I just wanted to drop that little sort of geek out. Man, that's heavy. <laughs> well, if, okay, so my, my younger daughters are two and one. You know, what... Uh, if they, you know, they're not, like, not going to really see me go through my like, make, you know, squat and deadlift mechanics at the gym. But while I'm at home, you know, what are some things that I can do to kind of get them going in the right, you know, the right direction as far as uh, everything you were talking about? You know, they can't really like hang on to me, <laughs> right? Well, I'm swinging from trees and shit. Yeah, Denny. You know what? What I mean, this is what I do, and I'm sure. I might be wrong. Maybe maybe John agrees or disagrees, but my two-year-old, um, he hangs out in the in the paleo squat position, the, the paleo chair, squat bottom. I mean, he can sit down on the floor and get back in that position without standing up. He plays. He can eat in that position. So when I play with him, I hang out in the chair. I hang out in the paleo chair. I don't sit in a chair, sit on the couch, or you know, get on my knees. I play with him in my bottom squat position. That's great advice. I think it's great. Uh, unfortunately, um, I have a bone chip in the back of my knee and I have uh, not enough range of motion in my right knee to be able to sit in that squatted position. So usually when I do, I kind of sit Indian style, but my wife actually sits and squats with them all the time. That's kind of her uh, uh, predominant deal. And if, if anybody that's been to my house knows we don't have a kitchen table. Uh, or we, have, we do have a kitchen table. We don't have a dining room table. And the dining room table, the, that area is uh, actually like a little jungle gym that we built for them in their play area. So they, um, uh, you know, as you know, it's pretty hard to feed kids unless they're in high chairs. So we have high chairs, but we really don't have a majority of furniture or a ton of furniture for them. So in their play area, which is kind of between the kitchen and the, and the family room, uh, they just, that's how they play. And um, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, they just it, it's amazing to see how busy they are. 
that's something that blows my mind every time I play with the kids or I'm around them. I'm just amazed how it's nonstop. The only time they stop is when we put them down to bed and then they crash out. And it's just this constant state of movement, this constant state of learning is always, uh, you know, everything. My one little girl's into dress up now. She came out, I uh, came walking out yesterday and she had three pairs of underwear on. She had on my socks and I was walking around in my shoes. It was a pretty funny, uh, a uh, little vision. She's got three pairs of underwear and my shoes on. So that was pretty funny. And, uh, you know, she'll, she'll get my wife's purse and she tries to, uh, my keys, you know, put them around her neck. I mean, it's just, it's super interesting. And just watching them and observing them, it's amazing. They pick up on everything we do. Like I'm historically lost my keys. So I have a, like a, a, a land, uh, I guess like a leash so I can basically put them around my neck so I don't lose them. My little girl, I, I constantly see her walking around the house with my keys around her neck or she'll grab my wife's purse or she'll put on my sunglasses. Um, when, uh, we do laundry, she'll grab the laundry basket and drag it down to the room. And you're like seeing these kids do these things. And the only way they know how to do them is having seen us do it so many times. It's just part of the deal. So it's, it's just, and, and it's probably happened to every single parent. Like, um, I had a lady come in the other day who is a crossfitter from Savannah and she was talking about her, I think she's got about a two and a half year old and she told me her little girl curses like a trucker drops the f-bomb <laughs> says you know can use it as a noun a verb an adjective uses it in context perfectly and she's like i don't know where she learned that i'm like uh, probably from they learn from watching you you know so i mean you just have to be super conscious we are i mean every time we uh use you know any type of profanity we kind of both look at each other and we're like we got to stop this so i mean because probably all of a sudden their first complete sentence will be like you idiot damn you go fuck yourself or something they're like oh god how do we unlearn this behavior (laughs) and you know what's what's interesting john is you talk about the the profanity and it applies in in at least I think it does. I don't have data on this yet until Spencer's 18, but it that's my son. It uh, it applies in um, motor behavior as well. So what happens is your kid's first words are, you're an effing idiot. Unlearning that behavior is nearly impossible, right? And so the same thing with bad mechanics. One of the things I've been trying to teach Spencer is work out, you know, work in the squat position and try and jump a lot and jump landing safely good and I mean the kid loves to jump he's like a like a jumping bean and so it for him it's just a big old game like a dance routine but unlearning bad behaviors as you all know as coaches in a gym is really really hard to do my daughter likes to run my two-year-old she just runs everywhere yeah runs climbs you know, now my yeah. one-year-old is watching her, so she's she's following in her footsteps. She's climbing the things that uh, my older daughter, my two-year-old's name is Ava, so she's like climbing the things that Ava's climbing on. I mean, it, it's I know exactly what you're talking about when you, you're just amazed at what they're picking up on because they're not sitting there having a conversation with you, telling you, "Hey, I learned this the other day." They just do it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and you've never seen a kid overtrain, and yet they don't ever stop moving. That's no. true. Um, no, it's unreal. So uh, did, you, did you get a chance? Um, I know we were going to throw a little cloak off love out there, but there's a video of him uh, starting out. I'm going to guess he's probably 10. Uh, it's like an hour long. Uh, he calls it Beginnings Part 1. And you can see all like him uh, training in Russia and then the competitions that he's done. 
uh, with like a little 10 year old body out there snatching clean and jerking. Did you guys get a chance to see that at all? No. Has, uh, it's has cool, Klokoff, man. Has Klokoff officially um, uh, supplanted himself as like the CrossFit god? He must, because I know like him and a few other the Russian athletes, they're hyping up that they're going to be teaching seminars in the future. You know, and I know Outlaw throws a lot of Klokoff. So is the so I'm, I'm wondering you know because he's obviously a pretty good Olympic lifter but I know in terms of the Russian uh, Olympic team he's kind of on his way out. There's younger guys that are you know stronger than him, so I'm just guessing if it's his dashing good looks, the fact that he trains in spandex without a shirt. I mean he's obviously a pretty good lifter, but I, I just wonder if you know he's got he's got a great tan. He's uh you know he's yeah. got a pretty good beard. He's pretty jacked. I mean in yeah. terms of yeah. you know in terms of the CrossFit land, I mean he might be. You know, the one. He's he fits the, right in. You know, the, the typical the CrossFit guy, no shirt, you know, working uh, outside. Like, uh, you, you know, he probably turned on the CrossFit shit and was like, these are my people. <laughs> yep. I must go to America. He's talking about yeah, people. You know, he, he had a great Olympics, what was it, eight years ago, and then he, you know, pulls out of the last one. So, right. I mean, he, you know, he really hasn't, I mean, uh, to – you know, to have one big show. I mean, you know, and then uh, I don't know how old he is. He's probably either like 18 or 40. I, I couldn't tell you. But, you know, is he going to compete in another Olympics? And then, you know, is, you know, what's he doing now? So, I mean, I, I know he was on Splash and he's on some other things. So he obviously must be a bigger, big celebrity. So I, I imagine, uh, you know, maybe he comes and competes in the CrossFit Games and, you know, has hundreds of thousands of fanboys around the world that are like, oh, he's my hero. I just want to be him. Well, it, you know, the the first time I actually heard of him, I think, was on uh, 70s Big. I, I think Justin, like, wrote up an article about how he didn't like fat-ass weightlifters. And he kind of compared one person to Klokov. And he's like, look at this guy. And then, you know, look at Klokov. I mean, what he, you know, the whole article was based, like, the aesthetics and stuff. But... After that is when I heard of who he was and I kind of, uh, you know, did some research. I think the last time he might have competed was the 2011 championships in Paris, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, let's. Uh, it's enough I, think with the right, I think he's a he's a pretty face who would do well in CrossFit. Yeah. Oh, geez. He, uh, I'm telling you, he found his people, man. He needs to yeah. get over here and. You know, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, hey, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure if he shows up and teaches his shirt off with some spandex, I'm sure you'll get a lot of people there. Yeah. He's like, oh, good. Luke, how come at the seminars you don't take your shirt off and teach in spandex? It's hideous. He does. He does. You know, he does it. Well, he did it at the seminar we were at. Or the last one that I was at with him. He didn't. Uh, he didn't pull his shirt up. He kept talking about how he wanted to. Honestly, but. Denny, the, the real the real answer to that is it's the same reason we don't publish the seminar online via YouTube. You know, people pay good money to see the premium content, so it okay. wouldn't be fair to everyone else. You know, yeah. I've paying clients. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, let's let's change gears. I want to I want to respond to Dave the Bull calling me out on the blue band. I just want to go ahead and say 100 good mornings with a blue band is the biggest band in our gym. It's about four or five inches uh, wide and about a quarter of an inch thick. I think hey, I can, checked. Can we get a I, picture of Dave the Bull? 
Uh, we could probably find one. Uh, yeah, because I'm, 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 I'm real sure. interested in nicknames. Like, if you have a nickname like Dave the Bull, I got to see a picture to at least, you know, add some validity to the nickname. Uh, you know, you, one, you better look like a bull. And, uh, he doesn't. And, uh, he doesn't. You know, I mean, is it an oxymoron? I mean, is it like, you know, the biggest little city in the world? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's like calling <laughs> Maybe it's just that, like, dude. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we Luke occasionally likes to go on to his oxymoron nickname, which is Tripod. But, you know, <laughs> we, that's kind of an inner office deal, kind of a little office joke. Uh, I knew something was coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just, thinking when I, when I seen him do that, uh, send that message to you, Steve, I was thinking, uh, you know, like the one inch with blue band. No, no, come on. Yeah, well, I do. I'm like, my, you know, my man can can deadlift 580, 600. He's not going to go on that. But maybe it was, uh, maybe you, you weren't feeling it that day or what, or you, you know, <laughs> your vagina was hurting. Little blue band is like bending over to tie your shoes and then standing up. I mean, there's no resistance. I think the band has something like 200 or 250 pounds of tension at the top. At full, you know, like however they determine like full stretch whatever it is we got it from some we have a local company here uh that sells equipment and uh i'll double check the tension for you dave i'm not i'm not trying to be a dick i'm just saying don't call me out on something i can (laughs) i know how to work out bro uh it's a fight we should have a deadlift off you guys we should do uh tabata deadlifts and have you guys go side by side i'll if you both we'll go go tabata deadlifts at 445 all right. Dude, we can, we can do our uh, our favorite uh, was it meme? Do you even lift, bro? I'm amazed at how many uh, uh, things on the internet have have that in it. It's pretty hysterical. Yeah, yeah. If you guys want to see uh, Dave the Bull, I'm pretty sure you can go to the Power Athlete uh, Lyle comp. Go to All Out of Bubblegum Team and look at the 555 squatter. That's him. Oh, that's Dave. Okay. The wide powerlifting squad. I, I think uh, Dude Bro kind of called him out a few weeks ago saying he didn't think that was a uh, below parallel squat. Someone I've heard this before. You mean I, Douche Bro? But uh, <laughs> I was standing right there. You know, I, 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 I kind of chimed in and is said, it Yeah, Bro or is it Douche Bro? Because nice. I thought it was Douche Bro. It's Douche I think Bro. It's, I, mean, I don't know, dude. I, th- I thought it was Dude Bro. No, bro, he's messing around. I think, you know, talking about names on the blog, I mean, like, listen, if you're not John, then you need to come up with a different name. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, come on. You like, mean you can't John, use not John, the, not the owner, or whatever that John, guy was, John, not the not the real John or something? Yeah, well, the real John Wellborn, please stand up. Yeah. Please stand up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Wow. What question we got here? Steve Bernard Bernarski. Want to talk some nutrition? You ready, John? Lay it on me. Is there, a, he asks, is there a difference in nutrient uptake and digestive efficiency between eating your food cold and hot? Bear with me, he's got more. Seems like an awkward question, but here's the reason why I bring this up. I normally eat leftovers for lunch each day. Let's say today was chicken, broccoli, and avocado. All refrigerated after dinner last night. When I break for lunch, lately I've been questioning whether I should be microwaving my meals, so I've been eating it all cold. 
When eating protein, especially whether chicken, steak, or pork, I feel as if I need to chew much longer to break down the meat fibers, and then it seems to sit longer in my stomach and keeps me from feeling keeps me feeling fuller longer. If it is true that cold food takes longer to break down, this would be a huge benefit to keeping the insulin response down for meals. And on the opposite side, ingesting post-workout nutrition heated may help nutrients hit your system faster for quicker recovery. And he's got a question mark after that, so he's kind of asking a question about that. Um, it seems like you guys have a lot of resources look, to look into this, and I thought it might be beneficiary to, beneficial to the power athlete community. Um, cold food or hot food, does it matter? Yes. I'll just relate it back. Uh, let me just relate it to this. Uh, the only the only way I know I can relate this question is to something that my dad and I talked about a long time ago. My dad was told me that growing up, that if you keep your car waxed, like nicely waxed, like at least once every other week, like a full wax job, you will get better gas mileage. You guys believe that? No, hell no. Well, think about it. If the car is more waxed, then technically it should be able to cut the wind and have less wind resistance and therefore lead to better gas mileage. But the, the change is so marginal. doesn't yeah, even matter. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The change is so minuscule that it's probably better to make sure that your tires are inflated. It's probably better to maybe put a higher quality of gas. It's probably better to go to your mechanic and make sure that your fuel filter is new and that your car is tuned up or you're not driving an 87 Datsun with a broken tailpipe on three wheels. So here's the here's this question. Luke, is that what you drive, Luke? Where do you you're come up with this stuff? About, yeah. you're, you're worrying about fucking nonsense. At the end of the day, what's the food quality? Whether or not uh, – I don't really like the microwave because, um, the, you know, I mean, even though we've had them for years, I it just always seemed a little interesting to me that we would have these small little, you know, things to generate all these microwaves. Um, I personally uh, like to heat my food up in the oven. I eat uh, much of my food cold. Um, I don't really uh, have much of a preference. Uh, you know, I definitely like to eat uh, meat warm because I feel like I can chew it better. That sometimes, uh, you know, if it's real cold, it's a little harder to chew. Um, I think the net gain, net loss of what this guy's talking about here is uh, he's worrying about way, way too much. That's like somebody being like, should I drink 21 or 22 ounces of water? I'm like, yes. Should I eat my food hot or cold? Yes. Yeah, that's a great answer, John. Let me just, again, if you don't mind, drop a little science on here. Um, Steve Bednarski, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one to say. <clears throat> uh, if you're talking about cooked, Do you think this is his real name? Oh, I don't know. Well, it's on the internet, right? I mean, it's everything's on true on the internet. I mean, there's only one other Chuck – or there, there's only one other Bednarski I know. Uh, that's a good point. Chuck Bednarski, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, whoever, Steve, whatever his name is, <clears throat> listen, I'm, I'm with John on this one. <clears throat> Cooked, uh, sorry, hot or cold, probably doesn't matter. There's a little bit of evidence to suggest that warm food, reason it's easier to chew is because it activates with amylase, et cetera, et cetera. The, the data on cooked versus uncooked is really quite powerful. There's a, there's a um, relatively well-known anthropologist named Richard Rangham out of Harvard University. I think he's still at Harvard. I need to double check that. Who had done some work on eating. He wrote a book about it too. I forget the name of the book though. I've 
old memory. I'm old, just turned 39. Um, where he, what he did was a few experiments where he had rabbits eat carrots that were raw, carrots that were processed, like mashed as if they were chewed up, and then carrots that were cooked and mashed. And what happens is the the rabbits who ate the cooked mashed carrots actually gained more weight, and they did nutrient assessments on them and such and so forth. So the processing of food is important. If you're talking about uh, like raw versus cooked, cooked is a way more efficient means of extracting nutrients from food than eating raw. Um, and I wouldn't recommend eating raw dead animal anyway. Well, what's, what's interesting is I've run into people that are convinced that, you know, the raw diet that had eaten all their food raw. And I'm always like, you don't think that we've evolved. Like I, I had a guy once tell me actually came to our own gym that, uh, that we're not evolved to eat cooked food. That we would have never eaten our food that way. And I was like, you're fucking insane. You honestly believe that we have not been cooking our food for millions of years? That the first time something got caught, that they were like, this would be, I mean, like, I believe right after we created fire, the next thing we did was we barbecued. That's right. We created fire and <laughs> I wondered, literally, yeah, I've often wondered how literally, far back in history. They, uh, they got fire. So, like so fire the anthropological started. evidence, the anthropological yeah. evidence suggests that the first um, the first available evidence for uh, cooking sites can be estimated between 20 and 40,000 years ago. So that's well before the agricultural evolution uh, or revolution. Uh, I mean, I think you're right, John. Once we figured out how to harness and maintain fires, we threw dead on We threw maybe live animals on there. Well, I, I, I always had this idea that, um, and Rob Wolf and I argued about this. I always had this idea that as hunter or hunter gatherers, we were kind of these scavengers that, you know, that a, a majority of what was out there was bigger and stronger and that we kind of, we were a little more scavengers and, uh, Rob brought up a pretty good point where he's like, you got to remember, we probably the most efficient hunter ever to walk this planet. He goes, you know, we decimated entire species, just basically hunting them to extinction. So, uh, if you know, what I, I, I tend to agree with Rob, especially with a lot of anthropo uh, anthropological historical stuff. And I got to believe that literally the first time we took down a woolly mammoth or something big, they built a big ass bonfire probably around him and burned the hell out of that thing. And I guarantee they were pulling the meat off because they were like, this is way better than eating it cold. I mean, I'm a, uh, you know, I think people get you know, too confused. It's kind of like I heard one time guys on the internet arguing about bicep curls, whether it was better to do a hammer curl or rotate the hand at the top for the peak on the bicep. Like you get disconnected. No, you're not. Okay. I'm just waiting for I, the, like it, it, it was like one of those things where it's like, uh, okay, uh, why not do them both? You know, like, like at, at the end of the day, man, like, uh, you know, people just run into paralysis and they, you know, I, I think they get worried about too many simple or too many crazy things. And just, you know, we're basically uh, at this program. We deal with the KISS principle. Keep it simple. Stupid. Uh, you know, if you have the opportunity to heat your food up, go for it. If you just eat leftovers, like majority of us, I bring my lunch. It's cold. I put it in the refrigerator. I pull it out. I'd rather eat my food cold than microwave it. Um, unfortunately, like when I go uh, eat coconut oil, I got to put actually throw it in the microwave for a few seconds just to get a better consistency because I can't eat it if it's real lumpy. I like to when it's got a better consistency. But um, I don't microwave the food for my kids. We have a microwave. I choose not to use it. I'd rather throw things into the oven or throw them into a pan and heat them up. 
but that's just personal preference. I mean, what we're really talking about, and I know like the net gain, so off a cold piece of food, would it cause your body more energy to digest the cool, cold food? I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, Steve, we could do an experiment on the net, on the gain on that, but it's gotta be pretty, pretty minute. Uh, it's going to be marginal. It's going to be marginal. If it's, if it's, if both are cooked, it's going to be marginal because once it hits the inside of your mouth, the temperature of the, the meat is going to rise. I mean, that that's what we're talking about, right, is bringing it to, to a temperature with which enzymatic digestion is optimal. And so if you're eating frozen chicken breasts like a popsicle, well, okay, so maybe that will be some problems there. But if you're talking about out of the fridge, it's going to raise the body temperature in a matter of seconds anyhow. Dude, frozen chicken like a popsicle, that just kind of made me throw up in my mouth. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> yes, mi- yeah. mission accomplished. Chicken. I know I I'm constantly chicken. eating my food cold. I, with, with two little ones here, you know, when I, when I prepare breakfast, lunch, and dinner and stuff like that, by the time I sit down and feed them and get all ready, my plate of food is just cold as shit, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I eat. I'm not going to – I only have so much time to feed myself with these guys. You, got, you know, I got my hands full. Um, Luke, uh, the the story, the OPT story, is that something you say for seminar talk? No, no, that's just something John brings up whenever we talk about chewing. And that's what I was going to bring like up, too. It seems like the time to bring that up. Yeah, like another thing about cold versus hot, if I had a hot ribeye in front of me, I might take three bites. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like – or three chews per bite and then just house that thing. But if it were cold, it's going to force me to chew more. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, John. Do you want to talk in about chewing a little bit? Yeah. Uh, well, digestion starts in the mouth. So if you're like Luke Summers where actually you try to swallow your food whole, your food never really gets an opportunity to digest. Um, since digestion starts in the mouth, as you chew, enzymes are released. It becomes, as uh, Steve talked about, the amylase, and then it goes down. Your body needs those enzymes that are that are pr- uh, present in the mouth to actually help with digestion as it goes down uh, the esophagus and into the you know this this muscly thing known as the stomach where it gets churned and then pushed through to the small intestine. So, if you are not giving yourself an opportunity to chew the food, uh, you know you're never really maximizing you know all you know everything you're eating and the way that this really struck me was a couple of years ago i got my blood work done and i remember uh dr Inkledon saying to me he goes i thought you ate a high protein diet i was like well i do i eat x amount of protein he goes i would have thought that the protein content in your blood would have been dramatically higher than what i'm seeing and uh i kind of like got a little nervous and i'm like well, well what do you mean and this next question is do you chew your food at which point i told him I'm like no i try to eat like a dog i try to swallow my food in as few bites as possible to the point where we sit down and you're like i can eat that steak in three bites i can eat that steak it's okay prove it and um he's like you're literally spending all this money digesting these protein supplements you are you know going and buying high quality meat and you are not maximizing any of the value of these foods so slow down chew your food at which point i started chewing my food you know 10 15 20 bites um you know there's a story about james fitzgerald uh opt going out and eating and you know chewing his food like 100 150 bites per chew uh to the point where you know the meal takes you know a couple hours because that's a lot of chewing so i I don't believe to go 150 bites but i think somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 15 20 bites is ideal per deal it also slows you down it allows digestion to happen the other key one is you don't want to house a bunch of water if you find yourself eating and having to pound liquid to get the water or 
effort to get the food down, you are eating way too fast and not chewing enough to really make this, uh, you know, a usable meal. So, um, yes, we need to go out and source high quality food and and, uh, food quality is of the utmost. But at the end of the day, chewing your food is the delivery system to break that food down to get it into our system. So if you aren't doing your part with the delivery, it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to spend all this money on gas and I'm, I'm not going to pump it into the car or I'm just going to kind of hose the car off hoping some will sneak into the gas tank. It's just kind of a crappy deal. So if you want to efficient, chew your food, digestion starts in the mouth, allow this the process to work. Yeah, I second that wholeheartedly. The way I relate chewing to, to our clients at the gym when I talk to them about nutrition is like um, it's tantamount to uh, cheating on reps in a workout or not going full squat. You know, I mean, you're, you're missing part of the mechanics of what your body's been designed to do. And if you're cheating it, then you're not going to get optimal results on the other end. Yep. There you have it. You know, I mean, I, it, I know it seems like the world's at kind of like a fast pace and everybody's in a hurry. You know, nobody wants to take the time to do these things, but take the time to do this stuff. If, if you're putting in the work, if you're moving the dirt, right? nutrition's half the battle i mean why not put as much deep focus on detail in your nutrition and the, the way you eat you know that you are in uh in your workouts that's great that's great stuff uh what else fellas that's all on my end i got to get to the gym and train john's already ahead of me nice <laughs> No, nice. I'm, I'm actually not going to work out today. I'm, I'm fucking destroyed. I, uh, uh, yesterday I literally felt like I was like a hundred years old and like literally couldn't do anything. And I, I was, dude, I was wrecked. Uh, I went home, I laid down last night. I was supposed to work a bunch and I literally just was fucking destroyed. I got up today and I felt like I got hit by a bus. So after standing in a cold shower for about 10 minutes and drinking, like, uh, you know, four or five shots of espresso, I started feeling better. And I think, uh, that's maybe my body's day of being like, I think you need to put off your squat and your deadlift today to do it tomorrow. And then I'll work out Saturday. So I'm actually probably going to go home and try to finish up, uh, Luke's book and rest up a little bit. I just, dude, we did, uh, we did that heavy incline or I, I did heavy incline yesterday. I had an incline in a while, dude. And it kind of smashed me a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, 200 pound dumbbells. No, I, I did uh, some barbell incline, and oh. uh, uh, it was I, I just hadn't done real heavy incline in a while, and so uh, that's why you guys got to see. Uh, I think we were planning on throwing it out for tomorrow. We just ended up throwing out some dumbbells just because I was like, man, as bad as I'm feeling, I don't know if I can program this for tomorrow. Yeah. You know, but it's good to hear you say that, John, because I think a lot of the people in the CrossFit football blog, you know, they get so caught up with – um, I'm not feeling it today. I haven't slept. I have a weird work, weird work schedule, blah, 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 whatever. Like here, here's like John Wellborn, CrossFit football, paying attention to what his body says and adjusting his training accordingly. I mean, you know, that's a question that pops up on, I think every CrossFit blog across the world, you know, how could I ever miss a day of training? I've worked 24 hours straight. My kid has had the flu. I've had diarrhea. I have to work a second job, blah, blah. And, but I still have to fit in training. I mean, come on. Pay attention we, to yourself, people. 
the way I look at it is uh, I have seven days to roughly get four workouts, maybe five. Um, you know, and recently we've been training almost six or seven days. Uh, so we've been really kind of burning it pretty hard. And, um, you know, if all of a sudden I kind of have this, uh, I'm ahead of the game a little bit and I basically train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then all of a sudden I get the Thursday and I got to take an extra day. I rather take off an extra day and come back and be able to smash it tomorrow than go through a, a workout today that I know is going to be a shit workout. I mean, I realize I only got so many bolts in the gun and, uh, you know, I like to have, you know, cause I, I mean, I, I've had workouts where I wasn't feeling it and I come in and I just get smashed and you end up leaving defeated. You're like, fuck, you know what? Uh, you know, that's, that's where the analogy move the dirt came from. Some days you just got to move the dirt. Other days, you know, as you get older, uh, you got to know, you know what, uh, today might not be the best day. I'm not going to, I need to have, I mean, if I'm going to squat heavy today and I want to put in a good performance, occasionally I might have to take an extra day. Um, you know, other people are like, you know, I, I'm never tired. I'm like, dude, I literally felt smashed today. So I'm going to take today off and I'm probably going to come back and try to smash it tomorrow and I'll probably be better for it. Yeah. And just as a, just as a, we're, we're not advocating just take as many rest days as you want. <laughs> You're like I, I don't want this to be translated as John Wellborn says rest whenever I want. There's day like you'll know. And John, I I forget if I was talking to these guys online or in an email or something, but about like the the kind of amateur, novice, professional, and how you how you qualify each. And hopefully we're gonna come out with a few like a blog post series on that. But John would be considered like an expert in his craft. If you've only been doing this for a couple of years, then you probably don't know yet. You know, that's a great yeah, point. I've also, dude, I've also had a shit ton of injuries, and uh, I'm smart enough to know that. Like, I mean, we we uh, we've been playing with some volume stuff, and I think what what hammered me was um, uh, we've been trying to see if. If it's really total volume or reps, and so we did a deal the other day, which was uh, 40 reps at you know whatever it was, 75%. And so I ended up doing like eight sets of five, and then on the I, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get those last couple, so I did seven or eight. And uh, I I was supposed to do some deadlifts and some reverse hypers. I literally did some like dumbbell RDLs and left just because I was feeling so smashed. And it's it's really something where. Uh, you know, especially for myself, just how I train and we have other people that are completely opposite. Like I'm better, you know, working up to something heavy and really pushing and really making sure the volume is, is, uh, you know, very exact, you know, intensity doesn't bother me. Whereas, uh, some lower intensity with super high volume just smashes me into pieces. So it's pretty interesting when, uh, I, I look at my training and, um, you know, we have a whole series on uh, that we've been working on, too, about, you know, how do you know what type of athlete you are? You know, can you handle volume? Can you handle intensity? And when you come train with us at our gym and all of our coaches have all done this, we've all done programs that were based purely on intensity with very you know small volume, but everything over 90 percent. And we've done other ones that are lower percentages with a ton of volume. And it's interesting. We have some people that really, really respond well to a, you know, a high volume program where the people that respond really well to an intensity program and um, really knowing who you are as an athlete and what we do really well on the CrossFit football site is blend the two. Uh, you know, if you notice that it's always, it's either an intensity day or a volume day and, you know, we can kind of break them up and it's kind of a cycle of the program. But I know for me that, you know, we pushed it a little too much on Monday. Uh, you know, we benched heavy yesterday and I'm going to have to take today off to come back and be able to crush it on Friday and Saturday and then also get something on Sunday. So it's just, just knowing how you are as an athlete and 
you know, being able to make the changes. But, you know, if, if, if you get old like me in Playtech and you need an extra day, you're able to take it. I think <laughs> you young guys don't get that. Man, I'll be 40 in a couple weeks, fellas. You too, uh, Kenny. 40. I'm just a boy among men. I'll tell you yeah. what. Whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for episode 18. Thanks, awesome, guys. guys. Appreciate you coming on, John. Steve, Anything. you're awesome. <laughs> what about Luke? Luke you're the man. Oh, that's Power right. Power Athlete Team Series in Katy, Texas this weekend. That's right. right. Yeah, so look, keep your eyes peeled on uh, for, for the results and the lifts next week. Mid-next week, they'll probably be up just before the games, and then uh, we might be out of commission. At those, The CrossFit games are like 12, 13-hour days, man. It's it's a long day to be in a booth and in the sun, so yeah. not sure how productive we'll be on, on those days. We'll see. Okay. Sounds good. Sweet. But, All right, uh, gentlemen. All right, man. Take care. Talk to you later. Adios. See ya.